Hello and welcome to episode 25 of Major Revisions, a podcast from three early career scientists roughly about ecology and things approximately related. With me as always from Iowa State University is Dr. Grace Wilkinson and from, I believe now, the University of Virginia, Virginia former itinerant postdoc, Dr. Jonathan Walter. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. How are you this fine evening? I'm doing really well, Jeff. How are you? Doing excellent. I'm good. John, how are you? You good? Did you get that stuff hung up out of the dryer? I did. I bought a suit today. Just want you to know that. Thank you. I actually bought two. um, And then I get to try on which one I like better. I'm not going to keep two suits. That's outrageous. I've only owned one suit in my life, and it's so stupid looking now because it's like a decade old that I... Why I'm buying a second suit, but... Jeff, is this going to be your Miriam and Barium suit? Um, hopefully no one, yeah, hopefully just the Marion part. Um, right. But, no, probably not, because it's like a darker gray. Like, I didn't go straight black. I just went, like, you know, because, like, if you buy the black suit, like, as a guy, like, you're pretty much, that's only the Miriam and Barium suit, right? Like, if you go dark right. enough gray, I think you can swing. John, is dark enough gray going to be okay for this shindig? Oh, yeah, totally. Okay, cool. Awesome. Um... Also, buying suits is, like, stupid. It's like buying a car, but somehow worse. And I really hate buying a car. (laughs) Is it because the salesmen are worse? Or the salespeople, excuse me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it just, they're kind of insufferable. And, like, I also, like, I don't like the idea of, like, you know, like, I don't mind paying money for things because that's how commerce works. But put a price on it, you know what I'm saying? Like, don't get, like, 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 I don't like negotiating. Like, I don't like the idea of tipping just because it's, like, this weird hidden cost. Like, just pay people more, and I'll pay more for the food, you know? Like, I don't want to come in and haggle on price. I think it's stupid. Um, But to that end, uh, major props to Banana Republic. Um, But I have a question for you all today before we get to the actual serious topic. Who is the more famous version of your name? Like, the kind of person who gives you a little bit of internet anonymity and cover. Um, and I think who among us, and I think there's an answer to this, <laughs> has the most famous uh, person who <laughs> shares a name. I think John should start. Go for it, John. Yeah, you're going to start with me because I'm the boring one. Uh <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, so there's a, there's a photojournalist... Uh, named John Walter, who comes up. I'm basing all of this on Google searches. Um, and there's a Jonathan Walter who writes for The Atlantic. Um, and about five years ago, if you Googled my name, you would get a <laughs> German pop singer who seems to have fallen off the face of Google at this point. Um but yeah, I don't, I don't have anything that good. Grace, about what about you? you? Oh, okay, um, so on a couple of years ago, when I was a young grad student, and I was about ready to go to a conference, <laughs> the American Geophysical Union conference, and I was going by myself, so I wanted to make sure I met the scientists I wanted to meet. I was googling their names and their photos so I could corner them awkwardly, and I went, well, I wonder what happens when you Google my name and what comes up 
And what I found out was that Grace Wilkinson, before she was me, um, there's another Grace Wilkinson out there who is an adult incest novelist. <laughs> who, by the, you know, like, first of all, the woman has written a ton of books. So kudos to that, because, you know, being prolific in your authorship, that's Get something paid. we all strive through. That's <laughs> yeah. right. The woman... <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Grace got paid. Um, But she wrote some really, uh, what I found at the time and continue to find, although it's based on your taste, some disturbing titles about like the family pet. There was some bestiality in there too. She's an Um, incest (laughs) novelist, Grace. I mean. (laughs) Incest bestiality. You know, you're already in the, you're already in the devil's playground. That's right. And, and so um, if you searched Google with the safe, safe search off, you found some interesting photos that popped up in lieu of my own photo. And now that is the reason why I have GraceWilkinson.com and started an internet presence as a very young graduate student, because I wanted to replace the horror of this incest novelist sharing my name. Although at the same time, whenever my advisor asked me, where's the draft of this paper? I said, I've been writing. I just haven't been writing science. <laughs> I like it there's actually a really valuable lesson in here um i think that uh, you know for for up and coming uh scientists is that you should you know even if you're not into like having a social media presence or anything you should actually go out and register those accounts just to take them from other people yes Um, i think that's a good advice you may change your mind later or you may just want to keep them inactive but you're you're protecting yourself there and that's important you know at least like if you have those names it, it kind of games the google algorithm and drives it up a little bit that says so how about you, i share my name with uh two people actually now um but uh, um a, a, a rapper slash gospel actor uh, by the name of ja rule also known as jeffrey wayne atkins who and i share a birthday with as well um we're basically the same person really um, we've taken two different trajectories in life, um, but uh, and I think he probably has a better credit score than I do. So, Didn't you know, he? he no, not after the know. fire. No, not after the fire thing. Oh yeah, that's true. Oh yeah, oh yeah, the fire thing. I forgot all about that. Yeah, ha ha. Take that, job, Rule. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like the Netflix show, was it Thirteen Reasons Why? Um, I haven't actually watched this, but apparently one of the main characters is named Jeff Atkins, and he's also um, uh, uh, much better looking. But the best part is that, like on on Insta, which I don't really use that much anyway, um, like I have an account, but I get a lot of follows from people thinking that I am the fake, act, you know, the actor, right? Which is not a real person because it's a fictional show. They follow so me because they think I'm the person in the fictional show, but that I'm not fictional, that I'm real, and I have an Instagram account. So then do they get a lot of a lot of photos of, like, kids' recreational sports games and lasers being shot at trees? It's mostly just pictures of trees, yeah. <laughs> okay. Pictures of trees. <laughs> and I don't even post that often, like, at all. But I have tons of um, mostly teenage and... Um, college-age girls, a lot of them now, who follow me on the Insta. Uh, which is weird, I guess, but, like, I don't really post that much, and, I mean, if they can't figure it out, whatever. So, 
feel free to follow me on Insta. <laughs> <laughs> or IG. I don't know, whatever the slang is these days. Whatever the kids are saying. <laughs> but. <laughs> so. The people get the title of this podcast. They're gonna tune in, and like for the first eight, nine minutes, they're gonna be like, "What the hell is this show actually about?" Should I say what's it about? Yeah, you should actually you say should. what's about, John. Why we're really yeah. here? All right. So, so tonight's actually one of our our more serious conversations, despite our uh, lighthearted introduction here. Um, so a month ago. Several armed white supremacist groups marched on Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, and this is a place that all of us hold dear and where two of us currently call home. Uh, and the actions of uh, these white supremacist groups sparked violence and the tragic death of Heather Heyer, a uh, counter protester promoting love and tolerance in opposition to the rallying hate groups. Uh, so, this was a really difficult and emotional thing for. Um, all of us, cer- certainly me, uh, and so we've taken some time to to read and, and to learn and to kind of collect ourselves and um, and our thoughts and feelings. Um, and so we've put together some resources if you want to learn more. And this is just a small portion uh, of them that we found helpful as we've run across them, um, but there are many more out there. Um, and so we'll post what we can and, and what we know about, um, and hope that, uh, what we have learned, uh, and can talk about tonight, uh, can be helpful to, to you guys out there. Yeah. And I, I think just a couple of those resources we wanted to highlight, um, one that I wanted to highlight, if you're really have no idea where to start in terms of action for racial justice. Let's say there's been events in the past year or so, perhaps the election or um, the events in Charlottesville that have really inspired you or called you to action in terms of racial justice, and that's not something you've thought a lot about before, um, I would recommend checking out nicewhiteladies.com, and that's a great place to start. Yeah, also, um, some of the editors and contributors to Working Magazine compiled a great reading list uh, called A Reading List for Charlottesville that we can also post a link to. And a lot of that, you know, kind of the selections and sections on that reading list are really kind of focused on trying to un- understand some of the underlying events and um, episodic and systemic racism, uh, you know, that's kind of led to some of the events in Charlottesville. So there's, there's pieces ranging everything from, you know, some writings from W.E.B. Du Bois to um, you know, New York Times articles, to some stuff from Teen Vogue as well. It's not necessarily like a primer on white supremacy, but more like broadly, a little bit on you know kind of understanding racism in America, but also kind of understanding on how to to deal with and cope with and, and manage that in some respects as well. So this is obviously a big and weighty topic that deserves a lot more than you know, the next 45 minutes or so uh, that we're going to give it. Um, so we wanted to kind of break things down a little bit and focus on a, a particular slice of things that relates to our lives and to the theme of this show. Uh, so on this episode, we're going to discuss confronting racism on campus and the classroom. Uh, so as you guys probably uh, all know, the three of us are 
all academics and currently at institutions of higher education. And the majority of our audience are also academics. And so we're kind of targeting uh, that audience and some of our own um, you know, personal uh, context. But we hope that the conversation tonight will be thought-provoking for any listener, um, regardless of whether or not you're affiliated with an academic institution. Uh, so we're going to do something uh, kind of different for uh, for the podcast, at least, and use a team-based learning strategy to facilitate our conversation tonight. Uh, so we're going to present a few scenarios and ask, what would you do next? Uh, and we'll discuss the answer to that question uh, and how we would react given that situation in real life, or at least how we would like to react uh, and learn from one another. Yeah, and just as a quick note, um, I want to say that the basis of this exercise and sort of the first two scenarios that we're going to talk through were adapted from the faculty training sessions that are run by Iowa State University's Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning. So shout out to CELT um, and all the great work that they do. So the first scenario um, that we are going to discuss through here, and, and you know we've been sort of talking about these things and have seen these scenarios, so I'm going to read it to you all, um, and then the, the five options that we have, and then I'm interested in hearing what your, um, out of the five options, what you would do next, or if you have a different idea, um, and then we can talk about in the group what we think sort of the best way forward and see if we can learn from each other or come up with a better idea by the end. So the first scenario is at the beginning of class in a lecture hall, a student, Taylor, begins shouting racial and religious slurs directed towards another student in your class wearing a hijab. Other students near the incident pull out their phones and begin recording. What's the first thing that you would do? A. Ignore the situation and call the class to order. B. Tell Taylor, stop. This is inappropriate. Please sit down so I may begin class. C. Tell Taylor to leave the classroom. D. Call the university police. Or E. I have a better idea. So what did you all think when you read the scenario and thought about it? You know, my my inclination is to go with, with C. Uh, tell Taylor to leave the classroom um, with a little bit of, of caveat um, you know if if the if the incident feels like it could escalate toward physical violence definitely D is is on the table um, as well as you know kind of getting you know getting in the middle of that situation physically um, to make sure that uh, the student is safe, um, mm. but you know, if, if this is a, a verbal sort of thing, I think um, you know, starting with with C, um, I would love to you know be able to you know to f- to follow up though. You know, um, it seems it, it seems unsatisfactory to me to just you know, leave it at clearing the classroom. Sure. Jeff, what were you thinking? So, I think it... 
you know, context is really important here because you definitely have to intervene, like John says, and you need to put a stop to this as well, right? And I think, like, you know, John's point on the escalation of violence, and obviously it's kind of alluded to, like, if people are pulling out their phones and yelling World Star, then you're assuming that, you know, there's the kind of the connotation here that this could get, you know, violent. But also, you know, like, is, is Taylor just... If Taylor's just being ignorant and saying shit, like saying dumb things, but doesn't realize how hurtful they are, like you st- you need to intervene and stop that and kind of get stuff to you know sit down, and then you need to pull Taylor out. You know, so I'm guessing I'm seeing this as a possible continuum, right? So like if it's because you definitely I mean, you have to intervene you have to ensure the safety of your students and everything but you need to follow up with taylor too right like if there's no imminent danger to everyone demi i think you need to stop and like have a conversation and talk about it as much as you can and then you need to continue to follow up with taylor as well um i guess and this is my own kind of ignorance to the situations i guess i don't know necessarily trying to think of my own university like who would be the person to follow up with if there's like a dean of students who you can help taylor kind of understand like dude you can't do this like this isn't cool like this is totally not okay but if taylor's like coming straight out you know like is this is incitement then yeah you got to jump in there i think or if you don't feel comfortable you need to call university police like it's really I feel like there's not enough information here to pick one of these. I would go with necessary. I'm going to assume it's more towards the lighter end. And I would I would go with E, a better idea that we need to sit down and kind of have a conversation about this. But then, you know, it's everyone kind of has their own degree of willingness to kind of jump in and have that conversation as well. Yeah. So. Well, you, you know, I think that's interesting, too, because when you're in that that classroom situation, especially as it says at the beginning here, you're in a lecture hall, right? And so that, to me, that at least means that there are a number of students there, right? And so the likelihood that you know each student personally and what's going on with them in their lives is pretty low. And so these situations can kind of come at you pretty quickly, I would think, right? And so, yeah, it's, it's that in that gut reaction, um, I guess initially I had, I had said my, my initial reaction was tell Taylor to leave the classroom. Um, yeah. And then tend to the person that those racial and religious slurs were being directed towards um, because their safety is really important as well um, and, and how they're feeling. And also, but, you know, at the same time, I guess one of the things that I, I've been reading about and learning is that when you go to the aid of someone like that um, or in a situation to help them, listening to what they have to say and what they want is really important, too. No, that's, and in that's, the moment, yeah. No, I was going to say, that's really good. That's, you know, the leave the classroom thing is something that, you know, I spent a, several years working with, um, we called them at-risk teens, but most of the times it was kids who were in an alternative school because they had anger management issues. And the biggest thing that you could do to kind of intervene with stuff was just break it up, leave the classroom, break the what was going on, 
you know, create some kind of transition or something. And, you know, there you have enough staff where you can kind of have somebody go with somebody onto the hall. And if you can remove this person from the situation, you can kind of de-escalate things. That's what you're really trying to do is de-escalate. But you don't have that option. You know, you're one lone instructor yeah. slash professor in front of a classroom. So, yeah, I see that. I didn't think about I didn't see the lecture hall thing. And I immediately thought of a classroom, like a smaller classroom type situation. Yeah, it could be you versus 300, or it could be you versus three. <laughs> Maybe not a class of three, but 10, right? Yeah. So, yeah. it's um, So, what did you all make? Oh, I also wanted to follow up, Jeff, um, on what you said. I was thinking as well, like, you know, after following up with the person who these slurs were being said against um, and how they're feeling, Taylor might have something going on. And if it's a big lecture class, I don't know what's going on with every student. And at least yeah. notifying the university police or the dean of students, because it might start forming a pattern of behavior. And they're going to be able to see that the more communication you can have about students when they're acting inappropriately. First of all, I mean, right, like I think we all agree, Taylor's behavior is completely inappropriate. Regardless of what the impetus was, there is never any call for shouting racial and religious slurs towards anyone. Yeah, uh, agreed. Like, th- no tolerance, at least in my classroom, and I-, I think that would be the same for all of us, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and so, um, yeah. So, so on this, I have a very quick, brief story for you. I, um, I think this is something that I've never really fully been able to process because it was just easier to kind of push out of my mind. But, you know, during undergrad, I was an English major, and as an English major, I took a few creative writing classes. And one of the classes, there was a student who was kind of reserved, um, but would say, like, when he would talk in class, like, his comments were kind of inappropriate, like, funny, but inappropriate. And, you know, during the process of the class, like, we would share, you know, stories that we had written. And one of the stories he had written was, you know, we all got it. It was kind of shared, like, through a Dropbox kind of system, whatever it was. And you got it, like, kind of the week before, and you read it. And we, as soon as we got the story, we started reading it, you know, to create you know, critique for that weekend. It was very evident, like, there was some very strange material in here at, you know, at, this is a family show, but the, there was, uh, you know, some references to cannibalism and some stuff very similar to what it sounds like Grace Wilkinson, the author, would have written in this as well, like, some very strange lurid material that we were all like, whoa, this is way out, you know, beyond the pale for what's typically in this class, and, um, Anyway, to short, the professor, I don't know how it ended up, but eventually, like, hope, somehow, he got referred to you know, whoever the dean of students or the similar position was, and um, to get this kid, like, you know, there's some alarm, big, big ringing alarm bells going on with some of the stuff this kid's talking about in class and presenting, and then, you know, it turned out, like, when they kind of went to get him, they searched his room, the kid had, like, assault rifles, had um, taken bullets and had, like, scratched people's names on the bullets. And, like, the kid was, you know, like, straight up, like, serious mental health problems and had, like, isolated himself and all kinds of other stuff. And this just happened to be a manifestation of it that just kind of came down in class. And um, my point is, you know, like you said about don't really know the situation with Taylor is that 
kind of these early, you know, late teens, early 20s is when you see a lot of very serious mental health issues that can come out. So I'm just saying, like, you, you want to get that person help, too, to see what some of those underlying factors are. I'm not saying what Taylor's doing is right here. I'm just saying, like, you got to get them assistance, too, to why they're lashing out this way. It might be some kind of indication of something much more serious as well. Um, right, you know, so, or, you yeah. know or, or even if there aren't, you know, significant mental health issues, uh, you know, maybe, you know, this kid's background just has like a, you know, com- a, a warped environment and, you yeah. know, where this, you know, type, that type of thinking, uh, racist thinking, you know, is common and has, you know, been unchecked, if not you know, promoted, uh, you know, and, and so you have a, a chance to um, kind of intervene yeah, in, in a person that, that might not be having mental health issues, but might be, you know, thinking in ways that are um, antisocial. Yeah. And and even in that same way, if not, um, not letting the opportunity to stand up and say, not in our community, not here, this is not acceptable. Yeah. At the very least, right? Yeah. There could be all these other things like you're discussing. I think those are great points that both of you have brought up. But at the very least, you know, I we also have to allow Taylor could just be a neo-Nazi racist asshole. Exactly. Sorry. That's what I'm saying. Family. Be, there's a whole game. <laughs> Family show. Here. No, it's, yeah. yeah, we're in agreement on that. Um, so I, I had another question related to this. Um, the, the second part of the scenario there said that other students near the incident pull out their phones and begin recording. What was your guys' A, reaction to that, and B, how might you address that in the classroom? I mean, isn't that culture? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. That that was a harder part uh, for me to get my head around. Um, you know, would you guys would you guys ask people not to post that photo? Would you or or or, or video or um, or you know even address it? No, hell no, I'm not touching that. No. I I guess I would ask them though to consider what it's doing to, I, I hate to use the word victim, but the person who is having those racial slurs slung at them. That they should think beyond what's the purpose of posting it serving? I would at least challenge them with that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's good. I mean, I think you need to ask them, like, if you can process with them later, kind of after you've removed Taylor from the situation. You know, just like you said, stand up, not in our community not here like what are, you, what are you doing like why is that your first inclination I, yeah i would not tell them like don't post it or anything i mean that just i feel like my initial feeling to that was it would make it seem like you had something to hide but, mm-hmm. yeah it but but there's i i think um maybe jeff you said it's sort of part of the culture like there's this voyeuristic culture that having a phone and a camera in our pockets all the time is sort of led to, mm-hmm. to some degree. 
And that what's the point of posting that, I guess, yeah, exactly, is what I would challenge them with is, is that because it's voyeuristic and, hey, look at this drama that just unfolded? Mm-hmm. Or is it for a broader purpose? Have you have you ever seen the show Black Mirror? Nope. I haven't. It's, um, it's a, I think it was originally one of the B, a BBC show, but it's basically every story or is a like a BBC show, it's like four or five episodes per season. But each show is kind of its own, like, one-hour movie. And there's an episode called White Bear. And, um, well, kind of the prevailing theme that runs through Black Mirror is it's always set in a very near future where there's some aspect of technology that's um, kind of explored. And uh, White Bear looks at this voyeuristic kind of tendency of human nature and so if you have an hour to an hour and a half, I highly recommend that episode. It'll mess with your head. Like, Black Mirror episodes, like, never make you feel good when you watch them. Because they really are, like, a really good kind of distillation of, of humanity. But it really speaks to this issue. If you if you have time, I recommend it. It's on the Netflix. So, cool. It'll, you, you'll have to watch something happy afterwards. So... From scenario one, it seems like we sort of coalesced on A, getting Taylor removed from the situation, so the student that was being aggressive and shouting the racial slurs. B, tending to the person that those slurs were directed at. And then C, it seemed like both of you were sort of advocating, and I don't disagree, for it's also a teachable moment in your classroom. An opportunity to have a broader discussion. The worst thing you can do is ignore this because you're implicitly kind of condoning Taylor's behavior while also telling the other student that you don't give a shit about her. Yeah. Um, That's the worst thing you can do in this situation. And I understand, like, this is uncomfortable. Um, But, sorry. Yeah, and, you know, I, I I think teachable moment for the class, but also, you know, important to follow up um, you know, whether it's you personally with Taylor, whether it's, uh, you know, getting a dean in- involved or um, university police, depending on the severity of the, the incident. Like, I think that there needs to be, uh, you know, some sort of reaching out beyond the classroom because, you know, this type of incident could signal bigger issues. Yeah, agreed. Uh, you know, and, 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 you know, we're, you know, most of us are, are in this business to some degree because, you know, we care about students and uh, want to shape their lives for the better. And, uh, you know, that includes difficult cases. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think also another thing to just mention is I think a lot of campuses have resources that, let's say this incident or something similar were to happen in your classroom and we know that's that's not really that's not an unlikely scenario that's why we're discussing it right um that there's resources probably available to you as an instructor on campus to help you have that discussion with your class or facilitate it as well yeah Yeah, what what you should seek those out what are some of those resources uh, so there might be a Title IX coordinator on your campus. There likely is. Um, or there might be a uh, diversity and inclusion office that might have people that would be 
available to help facilitate that conversation, as well as I think there's a fair number of online resources as well, um, in addition to, you know, like the, the Charlottesville reading list that Jeff talked about, and we can post some of those things on the website. Yeah, and, and I would add to that, um, you know, Centers for Teaching Excellence or, or similar offices um, often have good advice for handling, you know, sort of the classroom side of things. Absolutely. Yeah, and anytime you can get any kind of skill building on like mediation type skills, um, those can come in handy here as well. Um, but like I said, you know, I think the worst thing to do is to, to kind of ignore it. And if something, you know, similar happens, you know, kind of in your town, because I mean, I guess there was maybe three or four years ago, there was the, a student who was kind of wrongly, there was a, a student of color who was wrongly arrested in an area kind of downtown in Charlottesville and, and, and abused by police officers. And, um, you know, that was something that I remember bringing up in class at the time, too, because there was a definite distrust from the student body, basically about the people in power, which I think is something also that's, you know, at least we don't have to go into the politics of this, but you know, particularly in the Charlottesville case and the University of Virginia case, um, you know, the student body, that school right now, does not feel like they can trust the you know the power structure that's there and you particularly as a if you're a professor or instructor or particularly as a teaching assistant um, you know you are kind of the face of the university to those students you're the one who they see all the time and so I hopefully you know you have their back and you support them um, I think particularly speaking to, if you're a teaching assistant right now you may be one of the only people who knows their name at a large university. So if you're, you know, I try to tell that to, that we have a new student coming in and she's learning to teach kind of an introductory biology course and, you know, want to parlay to them, like, look, you know, I understand you've never done this before, but you, you, like I said, you literally may be the only person, like if they have a bunch of other classes and there's 100, 200, 300 students in that class, the professor, you know, Curry's kind of like you alluded to, like it's difficult, it's almost impossible to memorize everyone in that class. So, you know, if you're in like a lab and where there's 15 people as a teaching assistant, you're the only one who may know their name. Um, and that's that's personal and that's important and that you should take that serious because it's really, really important to that student. So, you know, don't I think don't be an ostrich about it, even if it's uncomfortable. You can there's people who can help you deal with it, like we've outlined and there's resources and you got to be there. You got to fill that gap. It's definitely going to be uncomfortable. And also maybe take the opportunity to think about why it makes you uncomfortable and explore that and, yeah. and try to educate yourself and collect yourself. Yeah. yeah. You could do it. That's right. We're working on it. You can work on it too. <laughs> we believe in you. So do you, do you mean to read scenario too? Do you say scenario or scenario? I'm a scenario person, but why? Do you say prestigious or prestigious? Oh, I don't say that that often. I don't hang out with that. <laughs> I, like pre- I, like pre- I like prestigious. I also say primer a lot. I don't My wife makes fun of me. Scenario two. The students in your class are working on a major group project in groups that you have assigned. Chris emails you and says that he is not comfortable working with his group and requests that he be moved to a new group. 
Checking the assignments, you see that Chris has been paired with the only two other people of color. You respond to this email with, Why? Question mark. Which he ignores. What do you do next? A. Ignore the situation. B. Send out an anonymous survey after class asking about group dynamics and satisfaction with group assignments. C. During the next lecture, re-engage students with the goals of the assignment and the expectations of group work and collaboration set out at the beginning of the semester. C. Switch Chris into a different group. E. I have a better idea. Yeah, so there's a lot in this one. I could definitely see this happening in a classroom as well. Yeah. Um, John, you had an interesting observation, though, when this was first presented. Yeah, so I, I thought about this a little bit, um, and the, the language here is a little bit ambiguous. It says, you see that Chris has been paired with two other uh, people of color. And I was curious whether that implies that Chris himself is a student of color, or if he is a white person in a group with two people of color. And I, I think that context could be important. Um, may, maybe, maybe not in shaping your response to this, but uh, but definitely in understanding the situation and where Chris might be coming from. Yo, straight up, I just assumed Chris was white. Um, I'm not going to lie. Implicit bias or not, I just assumed Chris was white. Yeah, that was totally my assumption as well from the beginning. And actually, when this scenario was presented at the faculty training session, they, you know, somebody asked this question like John did. And they went, yeah, we actually included that just to test, have you test and evaluate your implicit bias. <laughs> um, so... My implicit bias is that white people are generally more assholes. That's my implicit bias. Yeah, so I actually... I mean, like, the the events of the last couple months really haven't proven me wrong on that, so that's all I'm saying. Yeah, so the reason I asked that question was actually um, partly because of my experience uh, as a co-instructor in a large lecture class that had a lot of student-athletes in it. Um... And student-athletes, you know, can be biased against because, you know, people think that they don't take their schoolwork seriously um, and stuff like that. And so we actually, that actually became an, an issue in some of the group dynamics there. And so, you know, that just, I think, you know, for me triggered, you know, thinking about like, you know, thinking more closely about what is the, you know, the group dynamic. Does somebody not want to work with a bunch of other people um, who are in some way similar to them? Um, because that might be a form of discrimination on, or, or at least just, a, you know, a kind of a, a foolish oversight on the part of the person making the groups. Or is that a person who themselves has bias um, toward a group and and doesn't want to be a part of that group for that reason. Given that and and those potential sort of biases and things there, what would you do in this situation? I I think the first thing is so if he ignores the email. 
Um, you know, I, th- I think I think you need to speak to Chris. Like next class, he comes in, she'd be like, "Hey, what's going on?" I think you need to assume at first best intentions. Like maybe something's going on with the group. Like I don't, you know, I feel like you don't have all of. That's why you asked why, right? Like you need more information about the thing. Like maybe Chris is a horrible white supremacist racist. Uh, maybe though, like the group's trying to meet and Chris works nights and the other group doesn't have jobs or something so he can't meet at the same time. Like maybe he has a different schedule. You know, I teach kids who I say kids students who, you know, a couple like a few of them have been parents or whatnot, right? So like they just have schedules that conflict. Like you gotta find out like the underlying situation first and then go from there, right? But I mean if he comes in there and it says something else, then you gotta handle it. That makes it a little bit I mean, I you gotta find out more information first. Is that a cop out? I don't mean that to be a cop out. No, I No, I, I definitely I, I see that. Cop out. So let's say, though, that Chris is essentially evasive or you don't have the opportunity. I guess my, my pick out of these options, if I didn't get to have the better idea, like you did there, Jeff, of talking about trying to get more information, I guess I would have picked during the next lecture re-engaging the students with the goals of the assignment and the expectations of group work. Yeah. And if I'm re-engaging them, that means I probably, as an instructor, should have been pretty explicit about what my expectations of group work were at the beginning. So that also made me think about how do I articulate that and essentially that I have expectations that when I assign you to a group or you're part of this group, you will work with these people. Here's how you'll do that. Yeah. I think that brings... Yeah, go ahead, John. Um, I I totally agree. Um, I think, you know, I think that whether or not you are able to follow up with Chris, and I think that you should try, um, you know, probably addressing that at the whole class level uh, is important uh, because you know if if one person is having an issue, probably other people are too. Especially if it's a big class, uh, and you know as as clear and and precise as you try and be, I think that um, oftentimes you know it, it does benefit to you know to really um, reiterate expectations and you know reengage people and you know try and bring them together. Um, and, you know, I, absent, you know, something maybe like Jeff suggested where, you know, this really isn't a bias issue. This is a, you know, scheduling conflicts, um, type of issue, then, you know, people really need to learn to work together. And, you know, to the extent that that is is possible um i think as an instructor you want to um you know put them in a situation where they uh are pushed toward acquiring those skills exactly they are skills right you're not going to get to necessarily pick who your project partners are in the real world on a job right certainly not so yeah so it sounds like we're all in agreement that a or switching Chris to a different group is not an option without either gathering more information and trying to re-engage all students and remind them why group work 
like what the expectations are. Yeah. Right. And we all agree that ignoring it is also not really a, a option because Chris has come to you. Yeah. And, and I don't yeah. think the anonymous survey really does anything because it doesn't address anything in the moment. You know, like it, it might not be a bad strategy as a way of uh, gathering information with an eye toward, you know, changing up your, you know, practices for assigning groups or, um, you know, readjusting your expectations for group work in the future. But it, I don't think that that uh, helps to all that much to really address the situation that, you know, you and your class is in right now. Yeah, I agree. An anonymous survey is like akin to just spilling tea. Like there's no real function to it. Maybe at some point we can talk about if group work is actually important or not. Ooh, yeah. that'd be a good topic. I feel like I've waffled on this vastly over the years. I honestly, like, I wouldn't. I guess like that would have been a red flag to me if he comes up if the email was literally just like I'm not comfortable working with my group. I would be like, what? But, which is a weird thing to say. So I don't know. I, I just want more information. Like, I wish these scenarios, scenarios were a little bit more detailed. But I guess they're initially, I like, like you said, they're meant to be a little bit obfuscated in a way as well. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, when you're interacting with your students, I think we've all been in this situation, especially at the beginning of the semester, like... You do not know them from Adam. Nope. So, this is about the context, all the context and information that you have. Yeah. It's true. And you still must respond in a professional and appropriate manner. Yeah, and, and I guess too, like, even when you're just a, a TA, sometimes, like, the power dynamic makes students behave in weird ways. Um, and... So you kind of have to do a little bit of work to to push past that a lot of times and, you know, do your due diligence to find out what is really going on, you know, w within reason. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys added some questions on the bottom here for us to discuss. Yeah, pretty sure letting them see the inside baseball here that we actually marginally plan these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least, at least you know three out of five. Yeah, I was about to say we'll let you guys put the money on which ones are actually planned and which ones aren't after listening. <laughs> Next week is going to be totally unplanned. It's going to be me asking a series of ridiculous questions. I'm on board. Uh, yeah, so I I don't have. Um, choices for solutions but just one one situation that that i thought of is you know just imagine that something tragic or controversial uh, or just you know emotionally difficult has happened affecting students um your your campus or your local community and it's that like first class meeting right after that uh you know what what do you do? You know, how do you handle that? 
So on the situation I was talking about, and I apologize for missing or for not remembering this poor guy's name, but the one where the student was kind of arrested. I remember like I was teaching hydrology at the time, which is not really the conversation, you know, class that you typically have conversations like this about. But I remember like you know telling students like, look, um, you know, I know this is a situation that's really made a lot of you really uneasy, and you know, I think for good reason, right? Like there's you kind of question the kind of kind of these systemic issues but also kind of like the authority figures who you have present you know, just let them know like hey there are people to talk to i was like i'm clearly not an expert in this field but i'm glad to talk to you to offer support but i'm also can point you towards anything that you need as far as you know resources i personally i feel okay having those conversations um i'm a scientist i'm an academic but i'm also a person and I don't mind putting myself out there. And I also realize that there are other people who don't. And, um, you know, we can agree or disagree on whether or not the morality of that. But um, I don't mind putting myself out there personally. Um, you know, I love my students. I think they're great. And I want them to know that I'm there to help them succeed. Part of that involves helping them learn to, you know, do the day-to-day -day business of science but also part of that is supporting them and all the outside stuff too because it's i don't think you can divorce them um you know i know i've had difficulty in the last month like getting my own work done and um you know i just that that's me i don't know what do you guys think I really like your strategy or what you're saying of, of pointing students towards resources, a acknowledging it, first of all, that it happened and that there's clearly a lot of emotion there um, and that pointing students towards resources and perhaps if you're comfortable offering yourself up as a resource for a conversation. Um, but, you know, I was, I was also thinking about this in terms of, um, you know, the students are there at the university to learn. They're in your class to learn about a specific topic, whether it's yeah. ecology, limnology, pointing lasers at trees. Um, and so I want to provide that for them. But with the acknowledgement that it might be hard for them to learn about that right now, and so and we can discuss that outside of, of those class hours, but I want to honor the fact that depending on what, uni well, any university, but some more than others, they're paying just a, you know, metric buttload of money to be learning that information yeah. from you. And that during the class time, I'm going to honor and really work towards that. But I'm happy to have a host a conversation or a discussion afterwards with a group of students or just one-on-one. -on -one. I, I also, Jeff, feel very strongly and th that you know, like I'm a person too, and I want to discuss these things with my students if they're open to that. Um, but, you know, interestingly, at, at this faculty training, I was sitting next to another a colleague who shared that they don't want to know anything personal about the students. They want them to come into their class, learn the things they want them to learn, and then leave their classroom. And I, and I, okay, wow, that's a totally different approach, but I respect that. Okay. Cool. Uh. You know, I, so, you know, I agree with you. I think it's important to make, even just to make that short statement. Like, look, you know, I'm here for you. We can talk about this later. Like, hey, today we're going to talk about, you know, the metalimnion or whatever. Um, that's the extent, basically. I know the hype. Metal, no, I know the metalimnion. Like, <laughs> like, it's you're, my you're favorite limnion. Like, it's, it's everyone's favorite limnion. But, you know, it's, it's, you're right. You're, it's also, I think, good. 
it's a balance, right? Like you also want to maintain that day-to-day -day thing. Like, well, you know, I'm here to talk to you. I'm here to support you. Um, but also like we have this structure. Um, this is what we're going to do in class today. Um, and I think it's also important to understand like I would also like maybe extend to them like look if you can't do this today I totally understand and that's totally fine like, this is what we're going to be doing and you know if you need that go we'll figure it out later um, I mean I guess that's which I guess kind of gets into the idea of like safe spaces right which is, I mean, either a topic we can talk about or totally not, right? Because like, I think that's one thing that I think most people don't get what that actually is, what the concept of a safe space is. I think a lot of people imagine it as this place where you can just go when you don't want to deal with the world and just pet a kitty, right? <laughs> um, it's not. It's also, I think, just meeting people where they are at some given point. And if something crazy tumultuous has happened different people are going to respond to that differently. I think it's, like you said, I think it's really crucial to have that kind of day-to-day -day and remain that statistic. Today we're doing Metalimnion, today we're going to do the Hardy-Weinberg principle, or whatever it is we're doing. Um, here for you, we can talk about this later. Um, want to support you, but we're going to get back to business too. So I don't know. Yeah. No, I I, I think I largely agree uh, with with you guys. Um, you know, I, get, I guess one thing that I would add is, you know, I think, I think a safe space is not supposed to be a place where nothing difficult or controversial ever happens. It's supposed to be a place where you can, you know, have difficult conversations and, you know, deal with, um, emotionally charged, uh, things, um, without, you know, fear of, of judgment. Um, you know, that, that, that's what a safe space I think is supposed to be. Um, not, you know, this, you know, kind of, yeah, place that you, you know, go and pet a kitten and, you know, feel good about the world again. Um, but kind of, un yeah, yeah, it, it um, and a, a question that I would just, you know, just, you know, add um as opposed to you guys and and this might not be the easiest thing to do in our discipline but you know there are different approaches to to teaching about um you know tragic or controversial events and you know kind of in, incorporating that discussion into uh you know, into the classroom with you know, perspectives ranging from, uh, you know, being more justice oriented and I, I guess kind of explicitly pushing a, you know, a, a conversation or, or a particular, um, outlook on, on an issue to, you know, being very removed from it and trying to, you know, disconnect some of the emotional context um, and just deal with, you know, sort of the history, um, of, of, of an issue and, and think about it a little bit more academically. Um, I don't know. Can you guys imagine ways to bring those types of, uh, approaches, um, if you find them potentially valuable even, 
into an ecology or an environmental science classroom? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I guess the thing I, I initially thought of when you were talking about that was um, questions of environmental justice mm-hmm. and yep. using that as a context to talk about how that's really about racial and social justice. Yeah, and, and I think that that's something that a lot of people really don't, aren't even aware of. Well, I mean, there was that recent Nature editorial that was freaking clueless about this point. We were going to write the best rebuttal, but then other people wrote greater ones. Yeah, that one from the Atlantic was good. Yeah, that was really yeah. good. <laughs> um, we can link to that. They, whatever. Um, I don't, you know, I I specifically cover, in the biology capstone the class that I've taught, specifically cover questions of racial justice, because I think it's... You know, to a certain section of people, like, I don't think they even realize, you know, some of these issues. Yeah, and, and just just a back... It's not willful ignorance. It's different. It's just like, well, I don't know. Yeah. It's privilege. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's silly. That's, you know, the definition. That's one of the definitions of white privilege. Another definition of white privilege is, of course marching on a town by completely armed with guns and then rioting and having torches and then being able to walk out of here and not be arrested. But that's just another aside. Um, sorry, I won't say anymore. I know I promised. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, like, I, yeah, I've always specifically covered the, the, the kind of racial justice issue. I don't know if, if, if you guys have taught classes that's come up. Like I always talk about, because I'm from North Carolina, one of the issues we have in North Carolina is hog farming. And um, you know, hog farms are, I mean, they smell bad. They're disgusting. They're massive polluters, right? And so where do they build them all? They build them all in the majority black counties that are far out in the eastern part of the state. Real obvious. Right? <laughs> it's a real obvious thing. In their life, but yeah. I don't know. What about, Grace, what about you? Well, we've been discussing it a little bit in, in limnology class in the terms of, um, Right now, we're covering physical analogy, so talking about things, water budgets, um, you know, talking. So Harvey and Irma have offered some opportunities to discuss things like water budgets and extreme events. We talk about water budgets and climate change a lot. Um, And so there's sort of been a natural opportunity to also bring up talking about um, where people in these very poorly built and planned communities and these low-lying communities who's most flood vulnerable and what are the makeup of that communities, those communities and how that differs spatially. So that's, that's been an opportunity, but I guess it's not something I necessarily bring up. Um, I have threaded throughout my course, but it's been more opportunistic at this time. How about you, John? Um, yeah, I, I think that those are both really good, good examples and really good points. Um, I think one place where I can kind of work, um, stuff like that in is discussions about conservation, uh, and different perspectives, you know, um, you know, people from developing nations or from, uh, you know, indigenous groups often have very different perspectives on uh, on conservation issues than uh, you know wealthy white people do, 
and uh and so i think that that's um you know another opportunity to uh you know bring in different perspectives cultivate respect for uh diversity um that diverged a little bit from i guess the original point of the question um but no but i mean it, i don't think so i think it's just you're kind of building on it it, it, it seems like there's a lot of opportunities to discuss these issues in our classrooms related to i, I guess the most recent question that was posed by you john was you know can you even do that in ecology or how would you do that in ecology and environmental science but then also getting back to the idea of how do you incorporate when something um, momentous event happens in your community and confront that in your classroom, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I, per- I think if you if you can't figure out how to address it in your class or if you don't see the connections, I don't think you're thinking deeply enough about it. Because um, they're there. I mean, if you're thinking about, you know, energy use and consumption or carbon cycling or whatever, you think about easily, like, well, is it fair for us to ask a third world nation who or a second world nation that's currently developing to not do the same track that we did because you know that industrial revolution high resource use track really worked well like i mean it really ramped up things for developed nations so is it morally you know wrong or right for us to tell them well you shouldn't do that you know we already did that well well yeah i mean like these there are connections out there and I think it's imperative, you know, kind of like John was making the case an episode or two ago about, you know, if your research is only climate change, then you need to really rethink your research. I mean, if you can't see these connections, I think you need to really think about it. I guess with the caveat, if you're into like really some super applied thing about thylakoid cells and photosynthesis or something like maybe racial justice issues don't necessarily directly apply, but they're, they're two or three steps away. Hey, by the way, have we gotten any uh, any hate mail about my uh, climate change research rant? Um, I'll check the Gmail while you folks discuss the next session. I don't think so, but um, yeah. So, and 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 I think you know, there's the opportunity, and if if you have the, um, I think it's important to say if you you don't have to have the answers when you're talking about these things but as scientists um, one of the first things that we start with is observation right and so even just helping your students make those observations and just start thinking about it in those terms can be really helpful if you're not comfortable or if or if you don't feel like you have the answers on these issues as well um and if you do please share broadly because <laughs> yes, I don't think the rest of us do either. But, you know, um, it, it's about leading, teaching students to think. That's one of the things that we try to do, right, as instructors. John, so. you're in the clear, by the All way. All right, thank so. you. But um, to that end, if, if you are interested in commenting on any of the things that we've said tonight or have some other ideas, clearly we're still wrestling with these things and these, these topics. Um, and I, I would think that there may be things that others are wrestling with as well. And we would welcome your input, advice, or other resources that you'd want to point us to, and we'll share them with our listening community as well. Yes, gladly. So I think if, if, we, if I can just 
you know, sum up uh, most of what we've talked about tonight, uh, it'd just be, you know, don't ignore it. Uh, don't ignore it in your classroom. Don't ignore it in your personal life. Uh, when uh, things happen that are emotional or tragic, that challenge your values uh, and stand in opposition to the things that you believe in, uh, I think all of us agree that uh, one of the worst things that you can do is is ignore these things. And even if you don't have all of the answers, acknowledging an issue uh, helps to show students that, that you care and, and that you uh, are willing to engage with them and, and help them grow uh, and deal with uh, these types of issues that uh, unfortunately are, are both an inevitable part of life, but also uh, in some arenas seem to be happening with uh, greater frequency and severity. Yeah, nailed it. Couldn't have done it without you guys. You came up with all the ideas. I just, you know, <laughs> sat back and, uh, you know, took some notes and took all the credit at the end. I, I looked up some other teaching resources about dealing with difficult class uh, situations in the classroom because I was trying to find a copy of the ones that I had taught, like at some teaching pedagogy thing a while back, and I couldn't find it. But if you Google them, most of the ones that you find are dealing with students complaining about grades or... Um, you know, something like that. And I just want to be like, oh, honey, that's... It gets way more in the weeds than that. Like, <laughs> oh, it's... That's... Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the least you got to worry about. You're doing okay. Um, so, I don't know. Absolutely. That's all I got. I think this is by far our longest episode. Yeah. Well, we thank you if you've stuck with us this long and, and hopefully you found the discussion at least thought-provoking, if not useful in some ways. We said all these resources that we've been talking about will be posting on the website. That is majorrevisionshow.com. You can also find us on Twitter at major, revision, major underscore revisions. Jeff, what is it? You got it. Major underscore revisions. Major underscore revisions. Um, and you can also find us on a number of listening platforms. What are those? Stitcher. Apple Podcast and Google Play. Boom. Yeah. I actually so, recommend the Google Play. Like, if you're looking to switch from Apple because Apple's getting real creepy in what they're doing, I don't know if you saw the heart thing today, they're going to solve heart disease or whatever. Mm-hmm. Go, go to Google Play. I mean, I know I'm Android anyway and whatever. <laughs> Google Play works really well. Absolutely. I love Google Play. All right. So hopefully we'll see you for episode 26. Thanks for listening. And if you want to contact us or offer some more thoughts or ideas, we'd be happy to hear them. Thanks. Yeah, email us, majorrevisionsshow at gmail.com. Fantastic. Bye now. Good night. Thank you, guys.